Better late than never. Bam, we're live. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, what's up? Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, Dale, when you were on the Brett Weinstein podcast, you had your uh, shirt button, and now you're on my podcast, and you're all casual and shit. Yeah, that's intentional. <laughs> uh, Dale, Caleb, Caleb, Dale. How are you? Nice to meet you, Dale. Uh, Dale, Caleb is deployed in an undisclosed uh, location somewhere in the in the in the sandbox. Oh, sweet! He comes on so, here every morning. It's not morning for him, but he comes on here every morning with me. Oh, uh, so what is it like three thirty in the afternoon there or some shit? Six p.m. Oh, jeez. Allison NYC, hi Dale. Holy smokes! There's a blast from the past. Wow. How are you? Uh. Before we start with the great Dale Saran, uh, who has a pretty amazing uh, just life, uh, military career, and then as I know him in maybe the fourth or fifth uh, iteration of his life, when he showed up, uh, well, actually, he maybe showed up before me even, um, we crossed paths. He was the general counsel at uh, CrossFit Inc., and we worked together for more than 10 years very, 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 very closely uh, I want to say a couple things. I don't um, believe in uh, transparency in people's lives. That that seems to be a buzzword. When they fired Dave Castro, there were people putting a lot of pressure on Eric Rosa to um, be transparent and say why he fired Dave. Even though I'm no fan of Eric Rosa, I thought that was bullshit. If Dave wants to say why he got fired, Dave could say. I just use that as an example of like not everyone owes transparency. I don't owe transparency to anyone because I'm just my own person. That being said – I want to tell you something because it's been a quite the remarkable uh, week here at the Sevon Podcast. 90% of all the money that I've made from this podcast, and I say this to you guys because I want to share this with you because you guys donate, have donated so much money to me and the show has generated money. 90% of that money that you guys send to me goes to raising my kids. It either goes to paying my mortgage, paying for their whatever they need. I have the entire time of doing this show, I haven't bought a pair of underwear, a pair of socks. I've done nothing with your money except help raise my kids. The other 10% are just stupid little checks that I send for $100 to Caleb here and there or to Matt Souza or that we use to buy computers or microphones. And I can't tell you how appreciative I am of that. Like you have, you, you are helping me raise my kids on a level that's, uh, I take so fucking seriously. Every dollar you guys have ever sent me goes to the most serious thing I do in my life and what brings me the most pleasure in my life, and that is my three sons. And I not only use that um, to uh, help my sons, but it, 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 it leaks off on shitloads of other kids. If I may say in the most humble yet the most arrogant thing I'm going to say, every kid that crosses paths with my kids it's a blessing for those kids. And when my kids are in the classes with those other kids, those kids all benefit from the money that you're paying that allow my kids to be in tennis, skateboarding, uh, jiu-jitsu, music, all that. And I want you to know that all of that money goes to individuals in my area that are basically small business owners. These are individuals who've dedicated their lives to help take care of kids, to help raise kids, to make kids better people. So one of the things that you can think about every time you've given money to me, whether it's a dollar or a hundred dollars, is it's going to some guy named John Smith who teaches kids tennis here in Santa Cruz, California, and you're putting food on his plate too. So I just want you to know that's the ecosystem that you're supporting. Uh, and, and, and I, and I really, really, really appreciate it. Wad Zami, thank you. One of the most consistent and best donors we've ever had uh, for Avi's next pair of uh, chonies. 
Those are underwear, I think. Oh, okay. Underwear. I was going to say, I don't, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I wasn't sure that that five bucks <clears> of Johnny's was that he can just give you like for hand grenades. I, I also want to share this one final thought. Uh, just so you know, in the last uh, 10 days, without a doubt, the foremost powerful people in the CrossFit ecosystem, people that probably you might not even know their names have either texted me or called me uh, numerous times to tell me that we're absolutely murdering it. And uh, these, this is a uh, pretty damn uh, cool. Uh, uh, and there's this core uh, 200 of you that come on here every morning. I know sometimes the numbers go up over a thousand, but I know that there's the core couple hundred of you. It's because of you. And we've done it with positivity. Well, we don't attack people uh, for the most part. Um, we look at things. <laughs> like, we, right. we look at things honestly and fairly. And uh, the the podcast is being recognized by it. But it just shows you once again the vocal my the I don't know if I'm going to say the vocal minority, but this yeah. you you guys have really you guys have really been uh, profound. Uh, what happened on the Seven Podcast Instagram in the last 24 hours is is uh man um I, people always say it humbles me it doesn't humble me it flattered me i don't know what that means when people say they're humbled like they accept the academy award and they go i'm humbled I, what does that mean uh, um eh. isn't it i'm flattered and i'm proud i'm humbled when someone punches me in the face <laughs> i'm flattered yeah, and i'm proud when what i got humbled last night i'm sitting here kind of Half, I'm like, I wonder if Sevan can tell I'm listing to the right. I got a guy drill me playing hockey last night. I think he separated my shoulder. I oh, felt it really? Oh, he smashed me. He took advantage. I was in a really vulnerable spot. I played in a no check league, you know, and this guy just, I, I subbed in. It was 10 20 last night. One of the guys who runs the league calls me up. He's like, hey, we need subs. Can you come play? And the rig's about 15 minutes up. No know. check league, Dale, means that they're not supposed to do that. They're not supposed to do that. And so I was. <laughs> I didn't brace myself because I didn't anticipate. It was like a 50-50 puck between us. And I reached out and I was leaning down and I was cutting away from the guy to try and not smack into him, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and he took advantage of it and was like, just unloaded on me. Like it was like we were playing. Why? How is that cool? Does everyone kind of boo him? No, well, you know, the guys on my team were like crazy. The refs missed it. I mean, it's tough. You know, it's it's beer league hockey at 11. But you get some guys who take, you know how it is. You got people who in wads, you know, why are people cheating in wads where it's like you're never going to be in the games? You ne- you know, the scouts aren't here. You know, Noble is not here to sponsor you. You're, you're never you're never going to compete. But yet, why do people do that? Right. It's yeah. Just, it's I mean, we know the answer. The answer is ego, of course. But dickheads. Yeah, that well, yeah, that's a it's a short noise. So, so it, explain this to me. It's it's ten o'clock at night, and you get a text. Hey, can you come play hockey? So you go out there at eleven p.m. No, it was earlier in the day. They put out a little call to to some of us, and they're like, "Hey, the C League, you know, the teams are. It's tough to keep the league running, and you know, Friday this night. This is ice hockey, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I, earlier in the day, they're like, "Hey, anybody who can make it, we're going to be short. Both teams need guys. Blah blah blah." And so middle of the day, I talked to, you know, the wife. I'm like, hey, what are we doing? You know, are we going out tonight or anything? She's like, no, no. I'm like, well, are you all right if I go? You know, <laughs> beer league. I wanted HGH league. Kendall nice. <laughs> I probably should be in the HGH league. I'd be, a, I'd feel a lot better today. Um, but uh, 
So, you know, I rogered up. I'm like, yeah, I'll go. So once I commit, you know, I'm going to go out there. So it's 10, 20 at night, you know, go out wow. there. And great game. It, it turned out, I mean, went to overtime. We lost in overtime, but still a good game. But I got drilled. I came in last night. I couldn't even sleep in my own bed. I told the wife, I, I came in. I was just like, she's sleeping. I dragged myself downstairs to the guest room because I couldn't, I couldn't lay right. You know, my shoulders all jacked up. I, I've had it dislocated and popped out a few times, a handful of times and separated. So I got a pretty good sense of what that feels like. And so right now I'm like, oh. What quarter was that? <laughs> what quarter? Yeah, did it you get hit? The, uh, <laughs> it was in the, I think it happened late in the second. And and then were you out for the rest, the rest of the game? No, no, I played the rest of the game. Oh, my goodness. Oh, there's only God. one more period after that. Yeah, there's only one more. I mean, tough enough. There's only three, I, there's I, only I three, there's only three periods in hockey? There's three periods, yeah. Oi. Yeah. Boy. Do you guys play 20 minute periods? No, we play 12, 12 minute stop time. Oh, okay. Caleb knows he's a hockey guy. You can tell he's got a hockey guy <laughs> written all over him. He's got the hockey mustache too. He's got the serious. Ho- yeah. Look at that. I, I watched him time. <laughs> he's going for the Lanny McDonald porn stash special. I like it. <laughs> nice. Uh, Dale was recently on um, Brett Weinstein's uh, dark horse podcast yep um oh wow look at this if you uh i'll send you a link in the um private chat um what allison nyc sending you some money yeah that's what is that what just popped up yeah that's what it looks like oh allison you're too kind thank you thank you thank you thank you good morning mr spin good morning good morning uh those can you give us the the bat so that by the way oh can you just go to the home page look what he's done here he's made it so that your look at that the podcast you did with him yeah. is the default podcast that automatically plays a lot of people have hit me up over it he's got a he's got a pretty pretty good following he's a nice guy by the way i spoke to him a good bit off, offline it was really funny they do in their recording everybody's on a separate they do each on a separate stream and then, you know, I guess they engineer it. You know, you probably know better than I do about how that all works. They do that for picture quality. It records to your computer, and then your computer sends it automatically to the post-production crew. Right. So so afterwards, we, we have to – they go, hey, you need to finalize your your stream. Something didn't go through, so you got to go in and finalize it, right? So so I log in, and, and this guy, the guy uh, right there who's got uh, the – He's got like Caleb's must. Hell, Caleb, that looks like he could be your brother. John Bowes there. looks like he could be. Look at that. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's eerie. Like, there's Caleb's brother, John. So John Bowes is an Air Force pilot. He's a captain. Good good guy. And F-16 Makes guy. Sense. And um, uh, I, he, he's trying to direct me to log in, right? So we log in to finalize the stream. And he's like, okay, I think you got it. He logs off. And I'm staring at what looks like it's Brett, just like that. And I'm like... I thought it was like the screen. So I'm just dicking around. Right. And then at some point, like he blinked or something. And I realized I wasn't looking at an image. It was Brett was still logged in and sitting there. And John and I were talking, I go, have you been listening this whole time? And Brett's like, yeah, yeah, that's me, not a mannequin. (laughs) And so I got to, I got to spend probably, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes chatting with him afterwards. He's a super sweet guy. Did he come to life a little bit? He's so, um, 
um, he's so, I was going to say stiff, but I'll choose a different word. He's so, yeah, he, so, he's so sober on the show. He's, he's, um, I think he takes his, his, uh, science, scientist kind of, um, role seriously. And so he approaches it. I noticed that about like some of the folks, you know, around the, um, the, uh, science thing with Greg, you know, it's kind of that same trying to be dispassionate about whatever it is that you're investigating. So I think he, I think he just tries to be um, as detached as he can from it, but he, but he clearly cares, you know? And yeah, I wonder if it's because um, they're raised from that generation that our parents were raised in. There's still a lot of people do it too, that there is a posture of professionalism that they want to give. I mean, we see all these people who appeal to, um, uh, you know, the fallacy of appealing to authority in their argument, but the doctor said, and so yeah. I feel like that's kind of what he's doing. He's like, Hey, I don't, he doesn't want to show any, um, chinks in the armor. Yeah. And he wants yeah, to come I, across I super professional, but, but he wasn't like that off the air. Did, did you ever see him laugh? Uh, yeah, no, I, I had him cracking up afterwards. I, I got him okay. with a, a couple good ones and he was, um, he had somebody who wanted some help with some other things. And so, you know, he, introduced me to some other people but he's he's super nice and he had um some other folks on he did a series of those so uh, he's you know maybe the most mainstream guy uh who's talking about that issue for me so it was uh oh dude he's hugely popular he's he i mean during the uh, definitely during the um heart of the uh whatever what you whatever you want to call the the pandemic debacle he was the voice of anyone with sanity he was the largest voice and most prestigious voice with sanity on the air, no doubt. If if there is a tier of podcasts and and uh, Joe Rogan sits atop alone, right below him is this guy and some other guys. I mean, he's definitely, and it's cool that he used to be a lib, and then he's had his shit unraveled, yeah. right? I've had several of those people. It's really interesting that I've had sort of lefty folks, maybe more than even so the right right who who have kind of reached out to me in, in this, uh, there've been a lot more people, I think on the left who probably got their eyes open who were like, Whoa, Holy smokes. And so I find myself kind of talking to people I would normally have maybe been on the opposite side of the political spectrum. Although I don't, I would I'm certainly not on the right. I, I I'm now I'm full collapsitarian, man. Bring it on. What's I can't mean? wait to, uh, I, I want it all to burn to the ground. Oh, I, I interesting. Yeah. I don't have any, illusions that we're at the end of the empire man i don't this is rome circa nero playing with the fiddle kind of thing you know we're we're at the end of the empire we just have to you have to kind of come to grips with it you know it's not oh the politicians ruined us and they brought us to this end it's no our culture kind of collapsed and this is um yeah there you go yep uh, become a libertarian for a few months until you realize the whole system is messed up. Then move on to anarchy where you want to change the system shortly after that, uh, become a collapsitarian and sit back and watch it while it all burns. What about the constitution, Dale? Um, you know, as, as a document by itself, it's no I, good. It was a great attempt at something, but I got to say this, it's really interesting. Only recently I, I've been doing some reading, I went back to read uh, some things on the constitution and the, and the founding of it and all that. And I have to say that the anti-federalists were correct. That I think, I think the anti-federalists who, you know, there, there's those famous documents and Hamilton was one of the authors and, and, you know, so were some of the founding fathers, the, the federalist papers. I don't you of, tell me, tell me. Yeah, the federalist me. papers were a series that were written um, 
looking, arguing, making arguments about whether there should be a strong federal government. You know, before we had the Constitution, we had the Articles of Confederation. And the conception of the United States as a as an entity was that it was United States. And uh, in fact, in the old, um, yeah, Madison J. Um, right. And the the anti Federalists were headed up by a guy named Brutus, who used the the um, uh, he used the pseudonym Brutus. And you should, hey Caleb, check out, look up anti Federalists and Brutus. It's an, it's an amazing thing. All of a sudden you read the, the complaints of the anti-federalists who basically said, look, if you build a, str- a strong central government, you'll come to regret it, that the, you'll lose all the individual autonomy of the states. And what you'll have is elitist twats um, running things from Washington, D.C. Yeah. Brutus was a pseudonym for one of the most forceful anti-federalist voices during the ratification debates over the Constitution. While scholars still debate the author of the Brutus essays, most believe they were written by New York anti-federalist Robert Yates. Yates was a New York state judge. Yeah. If you go read the anti-federalists, they get no run. Nobody talks about them in civics. But if you read the anti-federalist stuff, it would be impossible to come to any other conclusion other than that the anti-federalist papers were 100% correct about what would eventually happen. If you had a stronger and stronger central government, you'd, you'd eventually wind up where we are now. And so I've come to, you know, I, I spent my life, I swore an oath to the Constitution of the United States, you know, all in, against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And then I had this epiphany recently. I was reading through all of this stuff, you know, historical stuff. And I realized that a lot of the things um, that are wrong are, are baked into the system. And we got here not by accident, you know. Um, is, is what you're saying scary? Scary? No, I'm not. I don't. Nothing's scary to me anymore. Um, what? What about? Okay, because it sounds. It sounds like it could be a little scary, right? You have kids in this world. You have people. Oh world, yeah. And, and you're yeah. saying that that the that the society is going to collapse. Yeah. Well, scary. You know, I whoa. Um, I'll say I don't. I don't have that same sense for my children that I used to, because, like, I can imagine that. My mother and father, I was born in 69 and you're, you and I are pretty close. You were like 71 or something. 72. Yeah. So I can well imagine that, you know, you have, a, you have a recollection of the seventies and despite what kids are like, Oh my God, it's horrible and racism horrible. And I'm like, Oh my God, you guys have no idea. Right. Like I just remember what, you know, it was like in like 70. Um, I went to in 1977, 1976 or seven, the uh, federal district court judge in Florida was trying to carry out Brown versus the board of education. So Brown v. board of education overturned separate, but equal, which is a case called Plessy versus Ferguson. So the, the Supreme court said, yep, you can't have segregated schools separate, but equal is bullshit. Now we're going to have integrated schools. Right. And that's Brown v. board of education. That decision actually came down in like the fifties. And then it bounced around because the federal courts were like, okay, well now what do I do? <laughs> Heidi said, remember the seventies, he was high as a kite. Eh, it's possible. Um, not yet. Not yet. Heidi, not, not yet. yet. Not, not yet. quite. That was the eighties. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, the, um, so what happened was eventually it bounced around and then judges, federal judges were told that like the South and, and the North, I mean, everywhere kind of dragged its feet on integrating the schools. Right. So, so the Supreme court says, 
segregated schools are bullshit. That's illegal. Separate but equal is not the law of the land. Constitution doesn't dictate that. So everybody's got to, you know, we got to have integration. It's like, well, what does that mean? Because the reality is what no judges wanted to deal with is that we're segregated as much by maybe even more so by class than we are by race. Those are just proxies, you know, that we use. But I mean, I grew up, for example, like I grew up right next to the Hartford Projects. My mother was an orphan who grew up in the Hartford Projects. <laughs> there are broke white people living right alongside the broke black people in the inner cities, you know? And um, so anyway, in, in 70... Lots uh, of them. Lots of them. Yeah, lots of them. Lots of them. And um, it, well, which which brings up an interesting point, a, a little diversion here. Only, only on the Twitter victim stack can some kid who's the son of a orthodontist and a, you know, uh, liposuction surgeon in Marin County... You know, he can be 19 and get confused about his sexuality. And now on the Twitter victim stack, he's up here and I'm a piece of shit because I'm a white male, even though I grew up broke, joined the military, went to Afghanistan. And but I've got white privilege, you know, so only in the Twitter victim stack do you can you alter reality like that? Because in the real world, you know where you fall. If if it's true, if the current lefty paradigm that that inner city blacks have it worse than anybody, if that's the worst of the worst then you can judge what society really thinks about you based on where, where you sit relative to the inner city project kind of reality. Right. And so I lived right next door. So I know, I knew exactly what society thought of me, even though I was white, you know? Well, right. anyway, so in 1977, most people, you know, won't remember this and it's kind of a forgotten chapter, but star Wars. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's where I saw it down in Florida. Um, we were living there. I was living in Florida and the schools had decided a federal judge said, well, we got to integrate schools. And so this is when they started busing kids to different schools. And so me and my sister and about a dozen white kids who lived in this little apartment complex right on the, um, right on the edge of winter park in Orlando, they shipped us to this bust us in to Hungerford elementary school, which had previously been a segregated all black school. And so they took like, I don't know, there might have been 15 of us total in the whole school, white kids, and sent us to an all-black school. And so if you want to you wanna see what angry and unhappy looks like, you know, and I was seven at the time. I remember coming home and I might tell my mom, you know, I was like, these kids hate us. They hate us. And I was like, and I didn't know why. I wasn't, I wasn't mentally prepared for that. You know, I didn't have the context. What did I know? I was seven years old, right? So I, I didn't understand anything about, you know, Brown v. Board. I just knew the black kids at school hated me and wanted to kill me. I was the only white kid in my whole class, second grade. My sister had, uh, there was another two kids. Like there was me and my older sister. She was three years older. And there was a boy and girl. She was closer to my age. And then he was similar to my sister's age. But that kid got sent home uh, in an ambulance. I mean, they beat that kid mercilessly. And I used to, every day at recess, spend almost all of recess running. And I mean, I did nothing from the start of recess. When we got out the door, it was like, it was on. Because the kids were picking on you. Oh, they wanted to kill me. They were, I mean, you know, they, they had a lot of hostility and anger and perhaps justifiably so, but you know, what did, I mean, it got taken out on me because I represented, you know, I was a white guy. I was, you know, maybe the first white kid a lot of them had seen ever. You know, Thomas Sowell has written about this quite a bit. He's the uh, black oh, economist amazing. over at the Hoover Institute. Yeah. And basically what, one of the things he was saying is that – and I only say the black because I, I think it's relevant to the conversation. Uh, it has nothing to do with his um, 
his credentials. He he basically said that if I understand correctly, that they should have never forced the law. Like once it let went into play, they should have let everything be and let it slowly happen. He said, because who suffered the most from that were all the schools that all had all the black students because, yep. and he shows the statistics. Soon as you brought in the white students, all the test scores across the board dropped in those black schools. And he did say, he shows that the highest test scores in the country at that time were coming from two all black high schools, beating out all the white high schools. And soon as they brought in the white kids, it all got fucked up. So it was this, um, it, it was an idea. It, it was a thought. It, it was once again, it was anti-science. Once again, it was like, Hey, yeah. the predictive value of what's best for these kids is this, but we would rather have this because yes. of our political ideology yeah. and they fucking ruined everything. Yeah. You, people would much rather have, would much rather have the sense of righteousness of, uh, you know, to virtue signal. We didn't have that term back then. Then right. they would actually have uh, good outcomes. And I didn't realize Allison went to Jamaica Queens Hey, Allison, I, I see this. I, I, when I lived in New York City, too, I went to all black high schools more than once in my life. And um, I tried to go to uh, I started out. I lived over in that same area and I went to my mom used to work in Jamaica, Queens, which is a predominantly black part of New York City in Queens. And I lived nearby. I was supposed to go to John Quincy Adams High School. And I went to try out for the football team my junior year. And I was one of maybe. 10 white kids to try out for that football team. And they had the number one football team in the city. They were state city champs from the, the year prior. And so I went to try out for that team and that high school. And my mom came by to pick me up from practice one day. Tryouts. This is before schools even started in like August of 80, 85. And my mother shows up and she's like, Oh my God, she was not this again. And I didn't even, she sent me all the way across the city to a magnet school, international baccalaureate school. And uh, I used to have to drive into work with her in the morning and catch the bus across all the way to get to, to uh, Flushing Queens to go to, to go to Francis Lewis high school because it had an, you know, an international baccalaureate program. So I could justify going across the city, but she was basically like, we're not, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> like I'm not going through you being in an all, all black school and, and what that entails, particularly in high school. Basically, at the time, since it was, you were just getting beat up, <laughs> just get in the dog shit beat out of you. Uh, uh, because uh, Avion Joiner, I went, uh, he, he, I went to a college in Cleveland, uh, MS, and the high schools were still what's MS, Mississippi, I believe. Mississippi, Mississippi. Missouri. yeah, oh, Mr. oh, Cleveland, Missouri, okay, and the high no, schools, yeah, uh, and the high schools were still segregated and forced to integrate in 2016. Yeah, I think I think Haley was bust around. I think my wife was bust around in L.A. Yeah. And what's famous about that is if you look back, you know, the famous national images that come out of that are um, from South Boston High School. And of course, I later married into Southie to the Irish when they bust all the black kids in from Dorchester and they bust them into South Boston and they had the riots. And, you know, the, the famous images in the Boston Globe are the high school kids at Southie, the Irish kids throwing rocks at the bus with the black kids coming over from Dorchester. And somebody, oh, it's, you know, terrible. But it, it, it happened in both directions. Of you course. Know, it didn't, it's that kind of enmity is, um, uh, you know, it's kind of baked into us. And, and which is why after all of that, like I remember Al Sharpton from the 80s when he was, you know, got a bunch of 
uh, got a crowd rip, whipped up and they killed some Jewish folks in, in New York. And that guy's um, been a fraud and a race baiting piece of shit my entire life. And yet now these guys all, all sit, you know, sharped in, I mean, a whole bunch of them and they got a TV show. And so we're not, we're not here by accident. You know, there's, there's the, the race baiters and all that um, can't move on. And, and so we're like, it's, no one's willing to just stand up and, uh, and call, call bullshit on it, you know? So it's kind of, it just keeps going and it keeps going and, you know, eventually it's going to break. It is interesting when people like Morgan Freeman, Denzel Washington, Lil Wayne, uh, Kanye yeah. do cool bullshit on the system. Look at what happens to them. Look how they get treated. But but Morgan Freeman and Denzel Washington survived it. Yeah, they're Did you, also, you've seen the interview, right, with Morgan Freeman? Yeah. Just destroy Don Lemon. Yeah, yeah. destroy oh, Don yeah. Lemon. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I and by the way, those guys are heroes to me. Denzel is one of my um one of my favorite all time actors. I think the guy's the shit, you know. And he's and he handles himself as a won't even do guy. sex scenes with women or kissing scenes with women beca- yeah. because because uh, because he's married. What a stud. Yeah, dude's a yeah, absolutely. Dude is a straight up stud, you know. And I loved. I tell you who was. The '80s were interesting to me in that um, the biggest cultural icons of the '80s were in my life. Like, if you were a football player in high school, I don't care if you're white, black. If you played football in high school in the '80s, everybody's favorite player, everybody's idol was Walter Payton. You know, soft-spoken black guy, number thirty-four for for the Chicago Bears, and I was a Pats fan. But Walter Payton was the tits. You know, we all loved Walter Payton. Um, the biggest name in music and pop culture was michael jackson correct michael jackson was moonwalking his way over you know across. we don't have anyone like that anymore right and then right the and other bill guy, cosby was also the, the yes, bill cosby was everyone the whole country went silent when that show went on the air yep thursday yep. nights 8 p.m and then and the other uh the other cultural icon of the 80s who dominated everything and who was beloved and i loved him for for one particular thing that happened was michael jordan right who didn't want hey, to be like with that? no race talk back then, Dale? Almost none. I mean, it was going on; it was here and there, but but I never, I never heard in the eighties once. Wow, this is a show about a black family, <laughs> right? It, it was, was just, just a Cosby Show. We just watched it. My yeah. whole family, everyone watched it. The whole country went silent. Eight PM Thursday nights. Yep, yep, yeah. It was it was as big as anything. And my favorite part of all of that was there was a political campaign, and this is why I. I think it's broken. We come back to the return to the issue of the anti-federalists and, and politics is that national politics and a federal government means that they makes everything a national issue. You know, something happens in Podunk, you know, North Carolina. Now it's a national issue because we've got national politicians and that's how they win these, these federalized elections. So Michael Jordan, there was a black candidate running for North Carolina Senator against a white guy and some black leaders, including Sharpton and others wanted Jordan to come out and make some statements. I mean, this was Michael Jordan was God. He was the king of all. And just a word from him would, would move markets, you know? And one of the greatest lines he ever had, he became famous for, maybe a little infamous, is he wouldn't commit. To, he's like, I'm not wading into politics. And he, he, he was like, you know, and people were like, why? And straight as an arrow, Mike just looked at me and goes, hey, man, white people buy shoes too. And I thought like, wow, you know, like I remember that I, I was like, I loved him for that because here was an opportunity. People were intentionally trying to get Mike to stoke up racial divisions. And he kind of was like from a businessman perspective, but he was like, hey, man, 
We want, you want me to hate on white people? Who do you think is buying all my shoes? And by the way, it's an interesting, it's always struck me as this interesting kind of schizophrenic aspect to Snoop Dogg. So here's Snoop now doing uh, commercials with Andy Samberg and, you know, doing Corona commercials on the beach. I mean, Snoop's is, he's got his own, you know, strains of weed and all that stuff. I mean, he's a legit businessman. I love him. I, I, you know, God bless him. But do you, I mean, how do you square that with his gangster kind of creds? You know what I mean? It's an interesting thing, right? And yet, and yet it's, it's always struck me as interesting about the, the gangster, um, the gangster mentality is what is it, what is it seeking in the end, right? They're always flashing bling and bills and commercial success. And so baked into it is this idea at some point you're going to get, you're going to get kind of amalgamated and yet you're somehow supposed to keep your street cred while being a businessman and, and all of that. You know what I mean? It's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing that you can pull that off in America. I mean, I don't see anybody out there screaming that Snoop's a hypocrite, you know? And right, that- right. Well, rappers and fighters have get some sort of, and comedians get some sort of pass, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, if if you're if you're if you're a rapper and you hit your girlfriend, it, it's um you get a pass, maybe even a little credit. If you're a fighter and you hit your girlfriend, you know you get a pass and you get a little credit. If you're a comedian, you can't hit your girlfriend, but you know you can say some crazy shit, some fun shit. You can point to some truths that other people can't point to. Yeah. It's th- it's three interesting uh professions. When I um. I was thinking about this while we're listening to your podcast with uh, Brett. It's weird that people's morality is now being dictated by where they work. And it's scary that the U.S. So if you get a check from the U.S. government, now you kind of have to do everything your boss tells you. Stand by. Sorry. Caller. Hi. Hi. uh, Yes, this is Paula with uh, pre-legal with DMS. Uh, look, I know this is the last kind of call anybody wants to get, but uh, on this account, we have received no dispute, no tax forgiveness of debt form has been issued, and no arrangement has been received. I just got one question. Is your yet. mom still mad at me uh, for that? Is your mom you still mad at me right for thing here Excuse me, I'm talking. Get this account resolved. It's a, it's a scam. It's a scam call. <laughs> It's just a robot talking. I so bad wish it would have been a person. Oh, I could have done some mom jokes on her. Damn it. I was like, we don't even have the live call-in number up. What is what is this? I was like, what the? <laughs> what is going? Hey, I get this text. Uh, um, I get scam text all the time that uh, this is the your you know the Watsonville courthouse. You know, you missed your date, or this is Amazon. Someone has purchased. Uh, please push this link and and, and log in. I almost got. I almost got. They almost got me on one of those. No, it was a PayPal one. The PayPal one looked so. I was like, oh, yes. Shit. I get PayPal requests in my PayPal saying I need to pay shit. Yeah, I was like, what? Yeah, that's funny. Uh, so, so, th- so, like Nike, for instance, if you don't get the injection, they fired you, right? Whew. Yeah. And yeah. and 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 then I was watching the thing with Brett um, Weinstein, yeah. and if you don't, um, if you don't get the injection, the the U.S. military uh, fucks with you, fires you, oh. and I'm like, oh wow. These people's jobs are dictating their moral authority, and it got me to start thinking. And I'll I'll just go straight there too. Brett was insinuating, and so I I have to just make up what he was insinuating. Oh, he yeah. was insinuating the entire podcast yeah. that this is a 
a pro, what's what we're witnessing is a psyop to make the U.S. military unready for battle. Yes, he he kept he kept going there, and I was trying to be. You know, it's funny. It's like people. It's almost like people are like poke, poke, poke. <laughs> yeah. To see, I was like, how many times is this guy going to poke me? And does he is he want me to say what I really like? Does he really want me to go there? You know, like of course it's not an accident. You know, I, I was like, of course it's you can't. You couldn't possibly believe that it was an accident. And I'll tell you what, the, I told him this. It's funny. I was thinking of this conversation when I was telling you earlier about we had this conversation. And I told him privately offline after the thing. And I go, he he brought it up again. And I go, Brett, you can't poke me. I go, you want me, you want me to give you the truth, like unvarnished right now here, me and you with F words and everything? You know, I go, Brett, of course it's not an accident. I go, the 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 people in power. And I won't even put it to a particular political party. I'll just say the Uniparty because I'm not sure there's much difference between Mitch McConnell or Nancy Pelosi, if I'm being honest. But um, the people in power have dreamed about, and it's what everybody who who holds political power dreams about, the, the crown jewel of the United States. What makes us a powerful nation is its military. We, you know, for better or for worse, our military is better than everybody else's. I don't, I don't mean to be that's not chauvinistic. I'm just telling you like, that's a fact based on my own experience. I'll give you an example. I was in uh, off the coast of Bosnia in 95. Right. And we had, we had just done the, um, uh, I don't know if you remember, there was an air force pilot who was shot down over Bosnia. Vaguely, Scott O'Grady. Vaguely. Yeah. Vaguely. I, and I then was they, drinking a lot those days. That was, yeah, they, that they, was they, out of five years out of high school. It. They kind of loosely based it with Owen Wilson behind enemy lines. They made a movie about it. And, the guy who was rescued, that was my squatter that rescued him. And then after that, we were still dicking around because that's when the Bosnian war was, was going on. And we went into uh, Albania and its economy was collapsing and all that. And we're supposed to do these big exercises, right, to help bring our countries together. So we're doing a, uh, an exercise, a NATO exercise with Albania. And we, we bring what we bring from an amphibious ready group, you know, so I'm flying Cobras and we got, you know, 46s and Hueys and jets up in the air. You're flying Cobras, meaning that's a helicopter. Yep. yep. Okay. And so we're, we're doing this big exercise and we get, before we go out in the brief, they're like, Hey, listen, you guys go out there, do this, but be cool. And this is what we were told. There we go. Because the Albanian military is spending like the last of its, like it's costing them a lot of money. They can't afford yeah, there's Albania. That coastline, by the way, is some of the most beautiful co- coastline in the world. I've never seen coastline as beautiful as that right there. From Croatia all the way around. That's the Adriatic Sea right there on the on the right side of the boot of Italy. And um, that whole area, pristine beaches, just gorgeous. Unbelievable how beautiful it is. Um, but the economies were just stripped by, by the governments there. And we were in Albania, and they were trying to do this exercise. So they put up their fighters or whatever. They could only put up. They were basically like, hey, listen, guys. They're going to have two of their jets fly by and they can't stay. They can't hang around. They're just going to whip through the area and we have to kind of make up for their absence because that's all they can afford to do. They don't have enough. They don't have enough money to get fuel to keep their aircraft in the air. And so, and that's just one example, but like even the Soviets, Ukrainians, all these other militaries, nobody, nobody has the has the kind of military that we have. And because of that, if you're, you know, the old power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Um, people who, who have power politicians, they all have a boner to use the U S military on their enemies. There is, I don't think there's a politician alive who wouldn't like, 
who wouldn't love to be able to turn to like a Marine amphibious unit and be like, destroy my enemies, you know, like just, Oh yes. Yes. You know, they, they want that so bad. And, and you can, you don't even have to like, I'm not making that up. Look at, look at Eric Swalwell's tweets, you know, look at Biden about, well, you can't stand up to the U S military. We got, we got F 15s, you know, I mean, he doesn't understand anything about war. He's a giant bullshitting knucklehead, but those guys all dream about having an excuse to use the military on their enemies. And all I'll tell you is, I, it's my opinion, based on everything I've seen, having gone through this 27, 30 years, whatever, in the military, what I see is politicians are just dying, dying to be able to use the military to shut their enemies up. I mean, Eric Swalwell, an American lawyer, politician, U.S. representative for California's 15th congressional district. Yeah, he's probably your rep, man. Yeah, Contra yeah. Costa County, north of me. Yeah, he, he's uh, Craig Howard's rep. Yep, yep. And what's his deal? Oh, he's always, he slept with a Chinese spy, among other things. Oh, but, that's the guy that slept with yes. the Chinese spy? And he, yes, and then he put he had all these tweets that were basically like, when people talk about the Second Amendment, he's always like, oh, eat shit, because we got, we, we, like he flies an F-15 or an F-16. But um, you'll hear politicians talk, right, David, we'd war his money. That's all it is, buddy. The merchants of death never, never let go. Yes, Swalwell is also the, the, the guy who uh, little, broke a little ass. What he farted during an interview? Yeah, that was great. <laughs> it happens to the best of us. It happens yeah, well, listen, I'm not going to hold it against you, Sammy. Uh, so, so to Brett's it, question, yes, yeah. that's what I believe is going on. You you want people to leave to get people to obey to disobey? Let, let me give you an analogy to this. Let me let me say another controversial thing. You'll love this. Okay, um, let me, hold that thought. Just so there's two things here. That, that possibly are coming up one we're going to test them with this vaccine and and it's only the ones who will obey will stay or two we're trying to make the we're trying to make the, the military so unready and as some of the things you were saying in that interview you know like we had the largest um uh i, I don't know we, we, a few months ago we had more people leave the military than any other month in the history of the united states right except for like the month after vietnam right and it's no, like oh two. shit yeah, we lost like we lost the equivalent. Somebody, I think it was John Bose, had done the numbers, but we're going to lose like ninety thousand or something. He was like, we we haven't lost that many people since like the Battle of the Bulge or some shit. Like it's, and so, which one are you saying? Which one are you saying is the plan to keep keep the brainwashed guys in who will do yes. anything to keep yep. their paycheck, or to make us unready? Both. Because those aren't those aren't oh, mutually shit. Those aren't mutually exclusive propositions. That's not an excluded middle. You want you want a military that's Less effective, but it, less effective in what sense? What do you mean by less effective? Like, it's not like they're going to get different. They're changing out aircraft. What they want is people they can control. And they want to use, what they want to really do is use the military in uh, posse comitatus, which is um, an act that prevents the military from being used ever domestically in a law enforcement capacity. And so now comes the Insurrection Act. And now you see the National Guard around the election and all of that. I mean, all the optics on it are are not good. I want to put some perspective for you guys. Uh, Dale represents anywhere between 900 and 1,000 military members, and that would be the world's 16th largest air force. Yeah, something like that. Um, if, if his clients um, were, were to form an air force, a shitloads of his clients are pilots. And in that uh, Brett Weinstein interview, uh, one of the things that you will hear is that the U.S. military is short like 1,200 or 1,300 pilots which is 
I mean, to use Brett's words, it's terrifying. And Brett also said this. He said, we're going through a, a spasm of totalitarianism. God, but it sounds like it's going to be more than a spasm. Um, yeah, for sure. So what, sure. what So what were you going to say before I interrupted you? I just wanted well, to put some perspective on that. No, only this, that um, the the people in power would love to be able to, you know, for example, how would you like to see your elections? It wouldn't surprise me. Let's put it this way. It won't surprise me. I'll make a prediction that in 2024's presidential election, you'll hear politicians asking to use the military or the National Guard around election sites. Right. I'll make that prediction right now. Book it. That, that, that years, hasn't happened every year since 1925? Nope. No? No. Nope. Nobody, the optics on, hey, let's have the military hanging around ballot boxes, the optics on that aren't great. You know, Kazavion uh, Joiner, I have a lifelong medical complications now from the jab. I'm getting uh, med boarded. What What does that mean, med boarded? Uh, they're gonna. Do they're gonna. Medical, yeah, board. Well, God, Caleb, you can chime in. They They just look at all of his records and then they determine his like disability and then they kick him out of the military if it's, they deem it necessary. They look at his readiness, like see if he can still do his job properly or he's like not worth keeping around. Essentially, yeah, and he'll be fighting for the rest of his life to get you know, 15 cents on the dollar mm-hmm. you, from the government for his service. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do, do you know who uh, called in the other day? Who's uh, fucked up? Dale is, uh, do you remember Michael McCoy, the filmmaker for, mm-hmm. CrossFit? yeah, he, he said his, his, he's all fucked up from getting the uh, injection. Oh, well, uh, I hate to be mercenary, but I uh, certainly would love to hear from him. Cause that, that sounds like a, that sounds like a client to me. Speaking yeah. of which, by the way, on this issue, I've, I've been working with um, uh, Brandon Johnson, defending the Republic, and another guy named Andy Meyer, who's a longtime class action lawyer down in Florida. And all I can say at this point is that we we think we think we may have found a business model um, to uh, continue to sue the government. So don't be surprised if you see uh, coming coming lawsuits against uh, bad actors. But I, I've got my. I've got my teeth into this now. I ain't letting go. But more importantly, I think I think there's a, a business model here where we can we can do this and and get damages and money back. So working on that right now. Uh, for for those of you, I, I don't mean to make you blush, Dale, but one of the most honest, uh, transparent, articulate, wisest, friendly, caring badasses I've ever met in my life is you're staring at him, Dale Saran. Uh, he, I don't know anyone who recreationally uh, goes as hard as Dale in anything. I mean, the <laughs> shit that he's done, uh, I don't think most CrossFit Games athletes would dare to uh, put their toes into. And yet he has managed to keep this huge uh, Jew brain of his intact, and he is yeah. extremely uh Hey, remember when I was fighting capable. in armor? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. And I remember Great. I used to look at your weapons. You'd have them like we'd go to the trunk of your car and I'd see your weapons. I'm like, what the fuck? I remember, I don't remember Greg's such a hard guy, you know, but Greg was like, Dave was all for it. You know, Dave was like, Hey, we're going to do this at the games. You know, this is great. You know, he loved it. And Greg, I remember after the games, after that big thing, we, we fought in front of that massive crowd. That was the largest tournament of armed combat since you go. That was, uh, the largest. The the one you did at the game was the largest crowd ever. Since the tournament of the roses in like the 13th century, nobody's, nobody's seen tournament combat like that since, since the Tournament of the Roses, I think it was like 1350 or something. So that was the largest gathering of people to watch that ever. But afterwards, Greg saw the video and he was like, 
trying to be like, you know, I remember he wanted you to quit so bad. Yes, he wanted me to quit so bad, but he didn't want to say, you cannot do that. He didn't want to, because you know, he, he didn't want to cut, like drop the hammer. I remember he said to me one day, we're just sitting around in the, at the house when we were all living together. And he came in and goes, he just looked at me out of the blue and was like, uh, Hey brother, you know, I don't want to say anything, but, uh, you know, uh, somebody's going to wind up with some uh, brain trauma out of that. I'm just telling you, that's not going to end well. And somebody's going to wind up with their. I re- he, he <laughs> was, and, like- and let me tell you something about Greg too, in that regard, Greg's not the kind of person to interfere in anyone's life. Like if yeah. you were smoking a cigarette next to Greg, he wouldn't tell you that's going to kill you. No. He, he, he really would mind his own business in, in yeah. regards to that. But with Dale playing with those hammers and hitting dudes in the head and in the back as hard as they can, he did not like that. At no, all. he was, he was like, uh, he, <laughs> he, he, as his lawyer, he's like, I'm not too keen on my lawyer uh, getting his head stoked in. With- Allison, they try to kill each other. Yeah. It's Allison, check nuts. out, go to, there's a, a series you can watch. I was in episode five called Night Fight It ha- on uh, the History Channel. You got to buy it. It had an eight episode run and I'm in, I think, eight episodes. And I'm in episode five fighting other dudes in armor. And, and you'll see if you watch it. It is not, there's no fake. It isn't WWE. Did, did girls do that? Did girls do that? Yeah, we had some. Yeah, there it is. Night fight. We had some. We had female fighters too. Yep. In fact, the first overseas tournament I fought in, right? We had a women's team, and they fought the other women, and and we had one gal in particular who was was awesome. She was one. She was the axe champ of the world. She was tough. Sister of a guy I fought with, and um, one of the gals was like, "We do at the end of the day, they allow you to do these melees. They call them all on alls, and so anybody who wants to fight comes to the list, and you." go inside and we did like 28 versus 28 and we snuck a chick out there. And so several of us were like, um, Hey, you know, we kind of kept her nearby, but she wanted to, she wanted to see what it was like to be an actual, like to do it, man, to do the deed, you know, in, you know, 28 versus 28 armed combat melee, you know, and there's variations on it. We got her in there and she, she was so juiced afterwards. I mean, she got knocked on her ass, but I was nearby her and it wasn't nothing too bad, you know, but gave her a chance to get in there and fight with the boys, you know? And uh, yeah, good honor. Good honor. Yeah, for that's me. awesome. Did anyone ever find out? <laughs> no, but you know who else we stuck in uh, armor? Ask Jay Vera about it. You did? Oh yeah. Did Jay Vera go out there and fight? Yeah. Yes. Jay had been, Jay had been following us with a camera, you know, and he eventually. Jay Vera is a filmmaker at CrossFit. He's still, he's still with CrossFit. He might yeah. be the only I'm trying to think if they have anyone. The media team was a hundred people. He might be the only creative still working at CrossFit. Yeah, what a shit show their media team is. What a fucking utter joke. <laughs> it's it's fucking pathetic. It's yeah. fucking. <sighs> Whoops. Did I, did I hit a sore? No, thing? it's just so, it's so bad and it could be fixed in 24 hours, but, but it's so, it, 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 anyway, sorry, go on. So Jay Vera. So, so Jay yeah. Vera had been filming us and following us, right? Because those guys, some of the guys have been training at uh, what's his, um, whose gym? Uh, Jason Kalipa's gym. So Jason Kalipa had let us use the back of his gym that he had a whole bunch of space. And so we'd done some tournaments back there. And he was like, this is insane. And so Jay had been following all these guys who were doing CrossFit. We tried to get some of these guys because a lot of guys were fat. We tried to get them in shape. And so Jay followed us and we went all the way to the world championships. And while we were there, um, Jay was around and then we snuck Jay into armor for an all V all. We didn't tell the captain of the team or anything. We didn't tell anybody. We got Jay into armor. Cause once you're in the armor, you know, you don't know who it is. You can't see the guy's got a helm on. You can't. And Allison to your, um, 
uh, to your question, how heavy is the armor? It runs between about 60 pounds and maybe 85 on the high end. You know, it depends on what you're using. A lot of guys, you want lighter, obviously is better, but it's about, it's about 60, 60 pounds worth of shit once it's on. And, um, <laughs> I've never um, even done Murph with the vest. <laughs> <laughs> so we stuck. That one would collapse. I tell you, Jay was in really good shape at the time, right? Oh, he's and still so, in great shape. He's yeah, a he's, beast. Yeah, he's yeah. a stud. And he was crossing hard at the time. And so he was like, all right, let me get in this, right? And he was watching a lot of these fat guys. And he was like, I'm going to house these guys. But the thing that nobody understands about armor, particularly wearing a helmet, you've got the demands of the helmet so that your face doesn't get caved in are such that, um, yeah, it's padded. It is padded so you don't get concussed. You've got these foam pads on the inside of a, a metal. Hey, dude. Helmet. Don't let Dale tell you any of this shit. I'm telling you, they have swords and axes. They have fucking 40-pound axes they swing at each other full wow. throttle. Wow. And, like, you'll swing and miss, and a dude will hit you with a fucking 30-pound hammer in the fucking head. It, yeah. fuck, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. <laughs> you can get concussed. You, you absolutely can. No, no, you are going to get concussed. Yeah, that's one of those was me. Yeah. It's, it's nothing like it is in the movies. It yeah. is fucking Whoa, horrible. Look at, did you see that guy swing that axe? Look yeah. at him. Oh yeah. There's yeah, no toys is. out there. There's no toys. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that was me just getting. So the helmets weigh. My helmet weighed about almost twenty pounds. My helmet would deflect a twenty-two round. If you fired a bullet at my helmet, it would it would ricochet off. But um. So so. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's kind Someone of Someone brought their kid there? Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, yeah. We have kids there, families, wives. I, I got a great one for you, Sev, right? I So my first tournament. I want to go back to the Jay story, but go ahead. Tell this well, one. I'll, and I won't forget. Story. I'll finish this. Jay okay. gets into – yeah, this is it. Jay gets into armor. And Don't we get, get us canceled, uh, Caleb. No more than seven All seconds. Right. Okay. All right. So, so – uh, <laughs> So Jay gets into armor. We get him out there, right? And he, what he doesn't realize is that um, fighting in armor is a lot like, um, it's like scuba diving in the sense that you really want to control your breathing. Because if you start breathing in and out really um, fast inside your helm, you do not clear all of the CO2. Mm. So, you're, so you're like this, right? You're like, oh, oh, and now you're breathing back in. You're not getting 100% oxygen unless it's – that's why we always would love windy days. You'd like a windy day. You want a steady breeze because it clears the shitty CO2 and you can get clean oxygen. But most days aren't like that. It's hot. and Or indoor fighting. That was indoor yeah. fighting. And you, you're breathing, and you're breathing in your own CO2 so you're slowly suffocating. And you can feel yourself start to do it. And so a lot of guys who haven't worn a helm before – they're like, yeah, I'm going to get in there. Somebody fighting, right? And they're like, <clears throat> and they start grappling. And they're like, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden they start going, oh shit, I'm fucking drowning. It feels like you're being waterboarded. And so you slowly, and so you'll see guys at the end of a fight clawing at their, throwing their gauntlets down and trying to get their chin strap off and trying to rip their helmet off so they can get there because they're suffocating slowly. It's a really disconcerting feeling if you haven't done it before so we got jay out there and he goes out there like i'm oh, badass i'm fit you know and thinking like it's like a crossfit workout where you can just breathe freely and at the end of the first match i mean he, he did pretty he did okay but at the end of the first match he's running for the gate trying to peel his helm off and he's like clawing at his head and we're like jay calm down calm down you know and he, he you you know it's like you can't breathe and so people start to panic and shit it was funny he got his helmet off and he was like 
I didn't realize. We were like, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> this is, that's the deal. Yeah, yeah, there I am. How much are one of those suits? Uh, I dropped probably, I had a pretty basic kit and I dropped like five grand to get the kit, like my first kit. But eventually, I mean, I probably spent 10 to 20 grand on armor, weapons, travel. Yeah, there I am right there. I think right dead center. That's me. Did you sell all your stuff when you got out of it? I I gave it away. Yeah, I gave it away to some of the guys, to the team. Oh, shit. You're a good dude. Weapons, everything. All my armor, my kit, metals, all that shit. What would you rather see? Your kid come home with one of those or a motorcycle? You're like, shit. Ooh. Motorcycle? Oh, boy. That's a tough one. Hey, anyone ever die doing that? Uh. Yeah, uh, yeah, but not from that guy died of a heart attack in the initial, the first, the 29, the first guys who did this uh-huh. went overseas and fought the Russians, the Russians, the Belarusians, Eastern Europeans. This is huge. And they're the best in the world because they're the most vicious. Large <laughs> right. Yeah. But we did really well. The U.S. I mean, the U.S. as a team, we, we cleaned up, you know? Yeah. Uh, so these these going back to these uh these clients of yours um when when does does this case end how what's an ideal ending for this thing you know it's interesting you bring that up so we're waiting we're just sitting right now and it's tough because you know i got people getting kicked out my coast guard uh folks are getting just slaughtered um they're throwing them out left right and sideways even though they've got a pending we've got a motion pending and it's and it's clear their first amendment rights have been violated they've they filed for a religious accommodation and, and uh, to back to the point about the military, you know, it's, it's not an accident that they're kicking out the religious. Um, oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, you asked about that issue. Oh. Think about That's the that. big picture that people don't understand. Those of you who aren't religious like me, you have to understand the, the nuance here. But I want to go back a second. First of all, if I, we weren't clear, Dale represents gangload of people let's say a thousand people just to make it easy yeah, who basically are in conflict with the u.s military about whether they want it to, about the injection they don't want to take the injection yep and so what dale here is alluding to is that they're kicking out the people who put up religious uh who are putting in religious exemptions yep. and that there is a deep profound underlying concern there that goes beyond uh hey you're violating the constitution right it's you're you're chopping the military of those who believe um, in something higher, that there are higher principles that you serve, that there are things that are more important beyond this. You know, you don't you don't want an atheist military. I, I mean that in the, in the you know, I mean that I'm deadly serious about that. You know, the Nazi war machine was, um, you know, that was an atheist military. They have no breaks. It's just they're just killing dogs. Yep. Even if there is no God, you want people who think there is a God so that they have some breaks. They have some moral, higher moral authority to answer to. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a conscious check and balance. Yep. And they want to root that from this thing, which would make it – whether they want to or not, I guess, isn't the point. If they root that from here, you've rooted uh, the breaks. You've rooted any, any civility. Yeah. You'll, you'll wind up with total war. You know, You wind up with something more akin to – to um to world war ii and that's you know the interesting thing to bring it back to brett you know we started just talking about brett he was and and he had that same concern you know he's i think a scientist but he also 
recognizes that there's it's an important thing here that you've got people who have religious objections to this shot and are saying who are raising their hands. And then what the military did was set up a system. Basically, they called it religious accommodation. But fundamentally, what it was was religious targeting. If you raised your hand and said, hey, I don't want to take this. You didn't get a break. They didn't go, oh, okay, well, we'll accommodate you. You know, that's what our religious accommodation policy says, even though that's what all the policies say. What it did was anybody who tried to use that system, they immediately removed them from leadership positions, no promotions. I mean, Caleb, you know, could, could tell you this. Anybody who would speak out, any CEO, like I had a, I got a client who's been on Fox News, a guy named Scott Duncan, uh, Sonny Duncan. He's um, uh, He started out as an F-18 pilot in the Marine Corps, and then he was a top graduate out of Top Gun, Navy, Marine Corps. He was the guy all the way through, became an F-35 pilot, selected to be a squadron commander, devout religious guy. And uh, he got um, selected for command, going to command a squadron, F-35Bs. And when the shots were coming down the pike, he's a very religious guy. Everybody knew, well, you know, he's probably not going to take this. And so as soon as, as soon as they, yeah, F-35B guy. And as soon as, uh, as soon as the thing came out and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian and, you know, I'm not taking this. They, uh, they pulled his command. So he doesn't get to command. Wow. And that's a guy. What like, does that mean? He doesn't get to command Dale. He doesn't get to fly. Yeah. They, they don't let him fly. They stopped him. All the guys, the, the first thing they do, I told all my pilots, go, listen, I, I hate to, I hate to say this. I go, but they're going to go after what you love. And so every one of the, pilots, the first thing they do is they ground them, take, they take away flying. Say that again, Caleb. What'd you say? They just demiff them until oblivion. It's like the do not fly list. You're just yep. stuck on that list. Basically it's like a profile where you're just that you're not deemed medically safe to fly. Cause even, the, though the flying, like a, even though they're, yeah, they're, on, oxygen. <laughs> right. they're, they're on their own oxygen in the plane. Can't, yeah, that dude can't possibly harm anybody. That one client of yours was saying, "Hey, dude, I sit and in a, a plane by myself. I don't even have a co-pilot. I'm in yeah. a plane by myself with a mask on, fucking ten thousand feet in the air, and and I'm a threat to someone." Yeah, I can't imagine how many times the pilot's been like just a little sick, and they've still flown. Like oh. they just like it's not. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Fixed wing guys have to be much more careful about it. Hilo guys, no, we could take like Afrin and stuff and get in the cockpit. But if you're going up to altitude, you got to be careful because you can't uh, flight physiology, human physiology gets different up at 35,000 feet, you know, where those guys go. And so you have to be, you got to be real careful. Most fixed wing pilots I know always carried a bottle of nasal spray. They're not supposed to, but if you get a nasal block up at altitude and you're trying to come back down, you can have real problems. And so most guys will, you're not supposed to nasal spray. Somebody asked Tyler spilled us. What's Afrin? It's nasal spray. Oh, it's like crap. You should try it whenever you're sick. <laughs> Any NSCA case updates. That's funny. Hey, Tyler, uh, CrossFit settled and they didn't, they wouldn't disclose what they, what the settlement was. I'll tell you what I heard, Tyler. I'll tell you what I heard. I heard that the settlement was so massive that they didn't want to tell anyone because they're afraid the affiliates would get upset. That's what I heard. I don't know if that's true. Oh, interesting. But that's what I heard. But that being said, for those of you who don't know, uh, Dale and Greg and Sorts uh, basically were protecting the affiliates from a, uh, a, um, a malicious study. 
that was easily proved to be malicious to attack all the affiliates, to attack every one of you. They lied, and the lying was, like, just right up front. Yep. Like basically they had the editor of, of whatever that sports journal it came from saying, Hey, you need to put injuries in here. Even though you didn't find any, you need to put injuries in here. And Greg and Dale got a hold of that and they sued these fucking guys and these guys wanted to fucking settle. And and Dale and Greg said, No, we're not settling. And the metaphor that Greg always used was um in, in the cowboy movies, when you tie the rope around the guy's feet and you drag him around the town, there's no destination. You're just dragging him around <laughs> to fucking show everyone the bad guy and to kill him. Greg was, had no interest in settling the case. Yep. They offered him so much fucking money. And he's like, nope, you attack my affiliates. You cannot exist basically on planet Earth when you and get in the way of these affiliates from uh, having uh, uh, deploying the cure to the world's most vexing problem and these small businesses because greg had met thousands of these owners and he knew they were trying to put food on their tables and the second he sold the company i would say within a year whoever was in leadership what'd you say dale i I was less than that it was i was shocked to hear that that's what my take and again i wasn't part of all that i was gone by then but so i don't have any insider Mm -hmm. info but i'll just say that when i heard that they settled it changed my view of the sale i i it, it made every, everything for me was like that settlement came not long after the sale. And it just looked to me like that was, <laughs> that was what the sale was about, but I don't know. So, so here's the, here's, here's what Dale is saying. And Dale, correct me if I'm wrong. If I have a, if I, if I own a ranch and my neighbor has a ranch next door and he has so many flies on his ranch that it's causing me $3 million worth of effort to clean up the flies on my property a year. And it's, and it's shooing off all the tourists, but I can buy that ranch for a million dollars. I've now up $2 million. Basically, if I can get rid of my neighbor yep. who's doing $3 million damage a year to me for a million dollars and get his shit, why wouldn't I just buy it? Right. And so there is there is a, a, a thought that's a very valid mathematical thought that there was so much disruption coming from CrossFit Inc. and the affiliates in other people's business models, pharma, Coca-Cola, sugar drinks, etc., that um, CrossFit Inc. was purchased. And, and so to put this in perspective, um, Gatorade spends $300 million a year on billboards alone. And I, I, I'm using billboards as a metaphor for advertising. I don't know exactly where it goes. But just think about that. And so if you could buy CrossFit Inc. for $300 million, like just advertising dollars. Right. And then shut them up, take control of it, and have CrossFit say, oh, you can exercise away uh, Gatorade. And then obviously the year that it's sold, in comes Monster Energy. So that's where the theory comes from. I don't know if I buy it, but but mathematically the algebra is like, there's there's no there's no kinks. There's no like, well, what about that number dangling? There are none. It's a perfect yeah. match. <laughs> right. So and, I mean it's like and um right, diabetes is exhibit B. Um that's a good <laughs> yes. That's good. Yeah, very good, Tyler. He sees, he knows. Um yeah, and to that to that end, I'll just say that you know, um it doesn't I mean, are these things all tied together? I don't know, but it just seems odd to me that the first thing that people came when the pan- pandemic, when the scamdemic, plandemic, whatever you want to call it, when that happened, it was amazing to me that the first places they, among the first places that they said they would shut down were gyms. Insane. I mean, of all the places, it's like it, it, right up front, the earliest thing was like, hey, be, the, the best defense to any of this would be 
to be fit, healthy, you know, because fit, healthy people were basically at zero risk, less than zero risk. I mean, if you were a fit, healthy person, person during the pandemic, you, your risk from it was nil. I mean, you were at a greater risk of getting hit by a car crossing the street than you were of catching COVID and dying during all of this. Um, and then, uh, so it just seemed, it seemed strange to me that the, like weed stores could stay open. Not that I'm, you know, against weed, God knows, but, um, still it was odd to me that liquor stores and weed stores were deemed essential and, uh, gyms were deemed non-essential during a health crisis. And of course the answer, I wrote an essay about this and, you know, they've got to probably, uh, besides my mom, there might be 10 people who read it, but I, I had said, you know, uh, essential is really an interesting word because it implies it implies that there's something else out there. In other words, if you're like, these workers are deemed essential workers, the, the first question that has to go through your mind is essential to what? Right. Like what, what essential to what, what's the essential? What's the thing that this is essential to? When you say something's essential, implicit in the definition of essential means that it's, it's a, it has to necessary, point to something. It's a necessary part of something else. So what is it that it's necessary for? And you could never get all you heard was government, you know, governors and all these people who are locking down their, you know, the economy, collapsing businesses. And they kept saying, well, they're, they're essential businesses, essential. And I would, I would always go essential to what? What are they essential to? You know, and you could ne- no one never so far as I'm aware, no one, not a single reporter, no one ever asked the question essential to what? And that's it's when I see stuff like that, Sev, that I come back to the point about it's collapsing. We, you can't, you couldn't have pulled the scamdemic um, with a numerate populace because anybody who can understand numbers would have, you know, couldn't help but look from early on and be like, oh, this is all bullshit. You know, you, you can't be familiar with numbers and not appreciate that this was all bullshit. Um, but asking Robin stayed open near my house the entire, the entire two years. <laughs> right. Of course. Of course, you can't go without ice cream, Seth. I mean, what are you going to do with milk cookie oh? It was crazy. Yeah. And gyms and, P- and businesses, small businesses destroyed, restaurants destroyed. The only things, you know, fundamentally what we did was we, we cratered the um, underlying engine of our economy, which is small business. You know? What do, you, do you have any thoughts on homeschooling? Oh, oh baby. Yeah. Yeah, more of it. I Listen, if I were the emperor, the only question would be whether before I chained the doors on the Department of Education and burned it to the ground, the only question would be how much notice I would give, if any, to the people that work there. That's the only question. Would be so what you have I some strong opinions. Things. Tell yeah, me why. Would, would it be 15 minutes that I would give them to get out of the building before I burned it to the ground? Or would I just burn it to the ground and not care about everybody in there? In a just society, in an honor society, imagine that if the shogunate, the Tokugawa shogunate, had uh, the shogun in Japan had decided to have a Department of Education, and it did the same thing that the U.S. Department of Education did in its first three years, no chance that that guy wouldn't have had to commit suicide after year three. Tell me, explain why. Well, because if you look, if you take a graph, right, and you go a little x-axis, y-axis, and you graph along the x, you graph time, and across the top, you graph money spent, tax dollars spent on the Department of Education, 
it only goes one direction. It only goes up. We've only spent more money every year. We've never like, well, let's maybe retrench and come back on that. It only goes one direction, up. Spend more, 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 more money since the Department of Ed was founded. And not coincidentally, test scores. If you took the same graph, and you can find this image, and you graph test scores since the Department of Ed in the U.S. over time, it only goes one direction. And it ain't up. It goes it goes down. So you're spending more and more money and you're getting worse and worse test scores by the Department of Education. And I'm just saying that if you had been, if you were like Japanese in an honor culture and you worked for the Shogun and you were the head of the Department of Education, three years in, if test scores had gone only down and money spent had only gone up, you'd have to kill yourself publicly. That's the only way your family could show its face. You know what I mean? You'd be obligated to commit seppuku. You'd have to. Oh, you're good, Caleb. Similar, but... Yeah, same idea. There you go. Look at how much we're spending now. Look at what we're getting for test scores. And that was only at 2003. Look at that. It's pretty bad. What's MAEP test scores? They look like they're going up. Oh, no, that's the spending. Oh, (laughs) There you go, Sev. That blue line is money. That's money. Uh, that that's a dollar spent per student. Yeah, it doesn't matter how you do it. Whether you do total dollars, right, dollars right. per student, doesn't matter how you do the measure. It only goes up. Hey, and- you know what's crazy too is it says in two thousand. So my homeschooling, uh, uh, you know, in in my area, they give us like thirty nine hundred dollars a year for three kids, but they get to spend in two thousand whatever that was eight. They were already spending eleven thousand dollars per kid. They should give me the whole fucking thing. Yeah. If they're spending $40,000 per kid, they should give me $120,000 a year. I'll make sure my kids are good. Yeah. The money should follow the student if we're going to be a button. No, I think the whole thing is education. Look, the, the, all the assumptions that underlie the need for an education system are gone. They've all changed. So like, you know, in the, in the frontier days, um, they would say like, well, we need, you know, you need education because you need an educated populace in order to understand issues. And that's how you, you know, and, and you, 1837, what's his face? Uh, wrote, De Tocqueville writes um, his great democracy in America, volumes one and two that nobody's read and everybody quotes and gets wrong. But um, he said that it was the educated populace, right? And so it had this impetus, um, Horace Mann, the 1840s, we've got to have public education. We've got to educate the next generation, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's just, it's all just government propaganda. You know, you have publicly funded education government education and what you'll get is government education you know <laughs> i mean I, I don't know how else to to put that at least put it this way publicly funded education is i think the word public there has the same meaning that um uh it does the same thing as an adjective that it does in to restroom so public is to education as public is to restroom or public is to servant. You mean it's for everyone? I n- no. I just think think about this. What's the bathroom in your house like? It's probably clean, clean, nice. Yeah, because right. you don't want to go into something. leave it better than when you went in. Right. Okay. So what? How does how do public restrooms? They don't even fucking put doors on them. They right. treat it. They're fucking idiots. <laughs> I was just in Newport walls. Beach, one of the richest communities in the world. Their public restroom there on the beach doesn't have doors. I would beat the fuck out of someone if they like, like if you have daughters and you go somewhere and they don't have doors on the public restrooms, 
you should go up to the city council members and bitch slap them. Like, like really? Yeah. Or make them all shit in there while we all watch. <laughs> and, and their moms and their daughters and their sisters. Yeah, what do you think? It's crazy. Hey, the first time the, in the military at OCS the and boot camp, you know, in the military, Marine Corps, no, door, no doors on the stalls. I'm okay with that. It's a bunch of 19 year old dudes. Suck but it up. Yeah. The yeah. first time you have that experience, yeah. man, when some, yeah. when you're there, like, uh, you know, and, you, and yeah. you're on the clock, you know, and your drill yeah. instructor screaming the first time he comes in front of you and you're like, you, what, you, you know, I'm there trying to wipe. And this dude's like, get off. You will get off now. Yeah. You know, it's just the most horrifying thing. You're like, I've you eventually accept it though. Right. You have eventually you can shit anywhere like a dog. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hey, the other one that was traumatic, <laughs> yeah, the other one that was traumatic, right? I'm in line seven. I'm a new pilot. I'm at 29 Palms, California, in '94. I remember this. And they go, one of the guys is like, "Hey, man, let's hurry. We'll get over to the bathroom now because the lines at Camp Wilson are bad for the for the bat, you know, the the heads, the bathrooms, right?" So I'm like, "All right." So we get in this long line. Everybody's waiting, and I'm like, "Oh boy, here we go." And so some people in the comments who've been in, anybody who's been to CACS combined arms exercise in 29 Palms will know this. Will back me up. So I get in line. I'm a first lieutenant, I'm like 23 years old, 24 maybe. And I get in line and as I come around, I'm coming into, now I'm in the building and you kind of turn the line snaking and I'm like, where are the shitters? You know, I'm kind of looking around, right? As I come around the corner, um, as I come around the corner, I kind of get a peek around this wall and I look and what I can see is that there are no doors, there are no stalls, there's nothing, there's no walls. It's just like, 12 shitters and it's like six <laughs> on one side and like an six. art installation like not even a real bathroom like yeah, an art no. installation and there's six and they're just in this open area right and it's like six <laughs> on the side so you're sitting but you're sitting staggered from the people so you're not directly across from the guy in front of you but it's like and there's one, women and, and men all nice using the just, just, just dudes okay yeah, just dudes. how nice of them to stagger yeah but but what's and so the guy next to you is just outside of you like if you extended your knees out if you like opened your legs you'd bump the knees of the guy next to you right that's next so, level i'm really comfortable i don't really want to touch anyone when i have all my shit out yeah all right wow so so i'm look right i see this and i'm like and the, my face must have given it away right because i'm like and i'm trying to just be oh my god and now cool? i'm like how am I going to do this? Cause like when my bowel is ready to evacuate, man, it's an event. Like, you know, the family needs to leave, get out of the house, <laughs> get, you know, get the kids off the streets, man. It's going to be bad. Right. And so I see this. And so this, this old crusty sergeant, he's going to be in his thirties or forties. I don't know, but he's this old like master sergeant or something. Right. And he must've seen the look on my face and he's walking to, toward me and he's got a paper under his arm. Right. Like Little, he's going to sit there and read it while he shits. He's got a newspaper in his arm. He's coming out. And I'm going in, right? And he must have seen the look on my face, the horror. And so he's got the newspaper under his arm, right? And he leans over and he slaps me in the chest with the newspaper, puts it in my chest. And he leans in my ear and he goes, hey, sir, it hurts a little bit if you hide behind the paper. And then he just keeps on rolling, man. And I'm just like, like, that's one of the great acts of kindness that anyone's ever done. Like one of the nicest things, you know, like just... You know, he gave me the paper, right? And now I'm like, now you can kind of pretend like while you're sitting there, you just hide behind it while you're like, 
you know, and just your body's making all these it's like the ostrich effect, right? Everyone can still see you, but you're you have your head in the ground, so you're like, fuck right. it, right? You're just telling yourself, like, it's all good, this is legit, this is fine, you know, no one can see me, <laughs> right? I'm hidden, I'm hidden behind the paper, nobody can see it. I mean, it was just, yeah, that was pretty horrible. Is the toilet paper just sitting on the ground and yeah. you pick up a roll? Yeah, 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 <sighs> crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dale, your, your, your listeners definitely needed that one. That was Dale. Great. How many years did you fly helicopters? Uh, yeah, five total. And and, and in what helicopter did you just fly one helicopter or a variety of them? Well, you start out learning. So I learned on the Bell Jet Range or the Bell 206, two different models of that in flight school. And then got out to the fleet, learned to fly Cobras. And then when I got to my squadron, I had a, I was in a dual. I was in a two aircraft squadron, Hueys and Cobras. So the old UH one Novembers. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Bell 206 right there. So is, is that like what the news organizations use and shit? Yeah. Yep. A lot of them do for sure. It's, it's probably the most used. I think it's the most used helicopter in the, in the world. Great aircraft. It's the safest single engine aircraft in the world, even more so than a plane. Wow. Yep. Safest single engine aircraft in the world right there. The Bell 206 jet ranger. And, and does that have a propeller on the back too? Yep. Tail rotor. Sure does. Oh, it's the, the same, same motor that runs both of those? It's the same motor that runs both of them? Yep. Yep. They're connected through a drivetrain through that tail, right through that tail boom right there is a, is a shaft that spins the tail rotor. There. Right. Bingo. And that spins the tail rotor and it's connected to the main rotor. And what happens is, which is why it's, that's why it's, they're a little squirrely because anytime you do one thing, like you touch a rudder pedal or you pull up the collective or whatever, it affects everything else because they're all connected. What happens is if you lose your engine, there's a clutch. It's called a Sprag clutch. And it lets go so that the propeller can freewheel through the through the air if you have an engine failure. So the engine decouples from the drivetrain, and that's how you auto-rotate. You fall out of the sky, you it, it generates lift up through the – or air up through the rotor head that spins it, and then you kind of – save all that energy for right at the bottom when you have no engine and then you you just pull and land it and grease them out we used to do full autos to the ground in those things like it was cool wait oh a my second. god dude wait engines off engines off baby all the way to the wait ground. a second you're telling me that the engine can stop on that and there's a way to disengage the engine from the propeller so the engine's not slowing the propeller down yeah it, ha- it happens automatically it senses that oh. sprag clutch lets go and now it's freewheeling. You can feel how close that. do you have to be to landing when you do that? Like only 20 feet off the ground? Oh no, no. You you do it in all these different um regimes, but there's something called the height velocity diagram. We call it the dead man's curve. You want to be you want to be on the right side of the dead man's curve. If you're on the wrong side of the dead man's curve, that's there's a reason it's called the dead man's curve. So someone's landed one of these like being a thousand feet off the ground with no engine? Oh yeah, yeah. Better higher is better. You, you even yeah. know it from the chart. You can see what the best altitude. Like I can tell you, I don't know. You know, you still have these things buried in your head. But the Cobra, you could you can safely auto the Cobra. I wish I could show you the diagram. It's this kind of it's a curve. It's um, yeah, there it is. Bingo, height velocity diagram. Right oh there. shit! Good wow, job, Caleb. Caleb, look at you. <laughs> the dead man's curve. Yep, right there. So you can see you see all that blacked in area. Yeah. Between 400 feet and zero feet, you need to, you want airspeed first. And so what you do is you fly in that area. Caleb, can you highlight the white area space right there? So you that avoid operation in, in sh- that's the white area. That's where you want to be. So, right. You want to be in the white. See what it says? Avoid operation in the shaded area. If yeah, you're in the shaded yeah. area, for example, if you're at, 
If you're at zero knots, if you're at a hover at 150 feet, that's a bad place to be. Yeah. Okay. That's where I was when I crashed. I was at a 150 foot hover and when we lost both engines. And the best place you want to be is uh, 200 feet at 150 knots. Yeah. 200 feet, 50 knots, 200 feet, 60 knots. Right. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. Wow. Oh, they got a typo in there, I think. Oh no, no, it goes. Okay. Oh, and you really, and you also don't want to be, oh shit. You don't want to be at, at, at 15 feet going 50 knots either. Uh, nope. You crashed a Cobra. Oh, did Dale freeze? I think we yeah, lost think Dale. So. Right at the good part. Did he, say, he crashed a Cobra. Did he say he was at 200 feet and the Cobra went down? Yeah, it looked like it was at, he was at oh, 200 feet at 40 knots. Okay, so can you pull that crap back up? Dale, you, you were in a Cobra that, that stopped operating at 200 feet? Uh, hundred. I was at a, about 150 feet, uh, maybe 125 feet when both engines, and zero knots. I was in a hover. And what so, happened? Did, right there. Did you get did, uh, malfunction or attack? Uh, malfunction during an exercise. Yeah, that was the crash I, I survived. August 11th of 94. And, and were you, were you were the pilot? I was, well, there are two pilots. I was in the front and there was a guy in the back. I was calling in artillery. We were doing an exercise. And the guy in the back was a guy named Bill Dunn. And, Did uh, he survive? He bit, yeah, we both, we both lived. Holy shit. It, One of those, right? The whiskey cobra, right there. That was my guy. Yep. Uh, can you tell us what happened? Crash. Yeah, we just <laughs> the we had a rollback of one engine, and we were it was really hot. We were in the desert. It was high, hot day, so we you know started to sink. And then the other engine, we had a we had a the subsequent engineering investigation found a bad bellows and the P three bleed air valve. I mean, kind of shit you don't care about, but yeah, we just you know bad luck, man. It, uh, was it a miracle that you guys survived? Yes. Everybody who saw that, all the people who saw the crash, um, uh, came. the CO came into the hospital to see us and was like, good job, and uh, turned to the doc and said, as soon as they're uh, med up, I want them flying again. And they walked out, shook our hands and walked out. And everybody who had been out there to see it, all the Huey guys had, had been out to see the crash site, came when we got back to the squat, you know, to our little space, by the way, this is the same place where we had just take, I had took the crap. This was all. Doing <laughs> that thing. That was the thing. It was a rough six weeks, man. It was a tough six weeks. Holy shit, dude. Weeks. It was a tough six weeks, but um, yeah, I walked away later. My, I wound up, I got a ruptured disc in my spine and, uh, um, but probably from that, you know, can you eject yeah, out of those things? No, 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 no. Yeah. The Russians have an ejectable helicopter. There's only one. The Russians have an ejection seat helicopter. It's the only one in the world. And it's a, it's got these twin, uh, it's hard for me to describe it. I think it's the Hokum, but it's got four blades and they have explosives in the blades. And when you pull the ejection seat, it blows the, cause you can't eject out into the <laughs> blades. You know? I mean, ejecting into a blender, you know, you can't eject out of that. Yeah. What the fuck? You know, you, that's, so they have explosives. You're like, you know those things you put a hard boiled egg in that you're like your mom has back in the eighties and you pull it down yeah. and it's in a nice thin slice. Yeah. This is like one of those. Yeah. I mean theoretically, I suppose. Yeah, there it is. Yep. The cam off or whatever. Yeah. And that has a uh it has an explosive charge in the rotor head. Like I look at that rotor head and I get horrified. I'm like, get out of here. That's you no thank you. Yeah, not a chance. 
Why? It's too much rotor head and you think it's going to snap off. It's just too much. Hey, the, the joke about helicopters is that it's, it's 1 million parts flying in loose formation together. Um, <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> it's there right at the top, at the very top of that thing on a Cobra, it's called the Jesus nut. Oh, I think I remember you telling me yeah, about the Jesus nut. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because if that comes off, that's the only thing that's coming out of your mouth. That's it. That's it, baby. Fuck. So how bad were you guys injured? Were you conscious when you crashed? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 The last 35 feet, I had this, I had this moment. You saw Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny because what went through my mind was not, am I going to die? What went through my, like at the last moment, as we're, you know, we're, we're coming down. I mean, you're, it's like dropping. It's like being in an elevator with a cable cut. Yeah. Wow. So now you're just, oh, everything in between. It's like my buddy, it's like my buddy Bobby says about heights. I'm like, oh man, I'm terrified of heights. I, I, I think it's, or maybe I'm terrified of falling. And he goes, I don't know, man. He goes, you know, you could, you could probably fall forever and get used to that sick feeling in your stomach. Eventually he goes, it's wow. the stop at the bottom. That's really the problem. Right, 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 right. And so when you're actually falling, you know, you kind of, that goes through your mind. Like, I mean, it did for me. And so at the last minute I sat bolt, like I got myself in the seat and the front seat, the bo- the back seat of the Cobra has a, has a stroking seat. So it'll actually bottom out and kind of dissipate the energy. The front seat is metal posts welded directly to the frame. So it's just metal on metal. And so at the last second, I leaned back and kind of sat upright to get my spine in as good a position as I could. And then you just rip up on the collective, kind of like you pull up on the collective. I always learned when you're trying to settle an aircraft that's landing is you pull as fast as the rate of descent is. And you try and match that and try and, you know, increase the pitch on the blades and then slow your thing. And we, Smashed into the ground, broke the skids, the, the downslope skid snapped right off, buried into the ground, the tail stringer buried into the ground, the top skid hit and cracked. And we hit on the side of a hill. And then we hit, and I remember hitting, and like my head came down, smacked the, the telescopic sight unit, which is what you use to fire the tow missile. I'm lucky. If I were taller, I would have taken that right in the face. That probably would have killed me. But because I'm a little short, you know, I sat. Not a little, and- not a little. Not a little. When I when I came forward, the top of my helmet hit the telescopic sight unit. And then as soon as we hit, I saw the, the rotor blades bend down. They flexed all the way down, almost touched the ground. And I looked out the – my door opens on the left, which was the upslope slide. And the other guy's door opened on the right, which was a drop down this hill. So we hit, stuck in, and I popped my door, my cables, and he was screaming – get out. And so I flipped out the side of the helicopter and it started to slide down the hill. And so I grabbed the door like an idiot. It's a 15,000 pound helicopter. I don't know what I was thinking, but I grabbed my door edge and I tried to dig my heels in and it started, it started going like, it started, you know, careening, like it was going to go over the hill and roll down the hill. And by the way, it was fully armed. It had two seven yeah. shot pods. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Awesome. Seven shot pods of rockets, 40, <clears throat> 40 flares in the flare buckets, a thousand pounds of gas in the, in the bag. And I was sitting on the, the, uh, the gunner pilot in the front sits over the can, which is where the ammo is for the 20 millimeter nose gun. And so I'm sitting on top of 600 rounds of high explosive incendiary. So we smash into the ground. I jump out, grab the thing. It starts going down the hill. 
And I swear to you, Sammy, I got pictures of it. I'll show them, send them to you. But it checked up on a little, there was a little rock outcropping. And as the helicopter started to slide down the hill and tumble, it just checked up and caught on a hill and kind of stopped. And I'm holding onto the door and I'm looking eye to eye with the guy in the back. This guy built on it. I'm like, are you all right? And his helmet, like the glass thing had come down over his face. So his eyes were sticking out over his thing. I'm like, are you all right? And he's like, I'm like, well, get out, <laughs> you know, before. <laughs> Hey, you know, how did he get out? Can he climb up to your front seat and then come out? No, your door? He had to, no, you can't. He had to like climb down, jump out, roll down the hill. And then, then we met at the front of the aircraft and kind of started hugging. Like, uh, like we were, you did oh, hug. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 He, we were, well, we were jumping up and down as Bill said, you know, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but Bill's when people were asking him later what happened, he's like, we was hugging like homos. He's like, yeah. we, were so, we were so happy. I mean, we were, we were hugging each other. We were like, Oh my God, we we're, you know, we were alive. And, uh, and then, and then uh, and was, you know, a Huey came and picked us up, took us to the hospital. It was funny. They had the flight surgeon in the back, right. And they land this Huey and there was nowhere to get near us. They had to land like 340 yards away on, on a flat spot. And they're yelling at the docs yelling at us. Right. And so we're, what's he saying? So we're, we start running over these rocks to get to him. You know, and we're running and we're like, wait, what's he, what's he saying? You know, this helicopter's overhead. We get about a hundred yards away and he's like, don't move. Don't move. <laughs> <laughs> Run yards. And then you can see the doc just throw his hands up in the air. He's like, oh, fuck, just come on. You know, we get in the helicopter. He's poking us, you know, are you all right? We're like, oh, we're fine. You know, yes. So. Uh, Dale Saran, always awesome to have you on. I yeah, hope that I you can. I hope you continue. What a what a. I I knew it's funny. I have all these notes, but I always know I'm like I hope it'll be so much better if Dale and I never have to turn to the notes. Yeah, yeah, we'll just cover what we cover, man. Yeah, uh-huh. you're such a great dude, man. Thanks for doing this. Hey, I love it. I I love coming on. You know how much I love this community and you and Caleb. Thank you. Thanks for your service, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you for your support. Yeah. Uh, and, and we'll be in touch. Uh, to talk to you soon. I'm, I'm sure I, I have a feeling you and I are going to run into each other in February. You and I are both going yeah. to the same broken science conference. Yeah. And, uh, if not sooner, I'd love to have you back on the show. Yeah. I'll be out sooner. My daughter's living down in, uh, she's living right down there in seaside, man. Oh, please call me every time you come. Let's get the families okay. together. Yeah. Yep. Every time we'll, we'll party. Promise. Love you, Dale. Peace. Thanks brothers. for all the stories. Yep. Bye-bye. Yeah. Damn. He's such a cool dude. So lucky to know him. So lucky to know him. Uh, I don't know how he got into a helicopter again. That's a nightmare. Allison NYC. Yeah. That is a nightmare. You have to. You can't just sit there and be like, well, fuck, I can never do that again. Adam Blakesley, uh, favorite guest. Yeah, he's, 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 God, he's an awesome dude. Um, the, the, the video, the affiliate commercial, I don't even know if it's an affiliate commercial. Basically, we just had this idea that I would talk about what I thought about the L1 and I would talk about what I thought about affiliates. And um, then they were edited into, you know, 90 second spots. And basically, they were made. We thought we would use them so I could like run and do bathroom breaks. So that's why we wanted them to be just a little over a minute. And it's funny that it's funny to me that 
I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think anyone, to be honest, is surprised. And I don't know how to say this with with any humility. So maybe I won't. But I was the second person ever to do media on the media team at CrossFit Inc. in end of 2006, 2007. It was it was basically Lauren Glassman and Tony Budding who had made any of the any of the previous media. And I was brought on. I worked there for a year for free. And the joke was is that it was Sevon.com because I made so much content. I made an effort to put in a piece of content every single day. Eventually, I became the media director, executive media director, which in, in corporate <clears throat> talk is the chief marketing officer. And I don't know anything really besides CrossFit. And I was there with all those numbers of our curves up and down, what worked and didn't work. I have in this little fucking peanut of mine from 2007 to 2020. And we had some enormous growth spurts, the biggest the planet has ever seen for any chain, greater than imagine the people like Starbucks, Subway, Apple, all of our metrics in terms of, uh, um, of geographical growth past all of them, not economic growth. God knows, like, if you're selling personal accountability, they don't sell nearly as fast as iPhones where people can watch porn. But Apple maybe is in 35 countries. We were in 162 countries. And I, it, it took me two years to understand this, but I was at the foundation of driving that. I'm not taking anything away from anyone else by saying that, but it was the media that drove that. Everything from the, the documentary in 2008, uh, Every Second Counts, to um, the transformational videos going into 2017-18 when we had when we were having some of the most explosive growth we've ever had in the company and so it's kind it, it, it it's um it, it it seems so simple to me to get this company back up on its feet what needs to be done because i see all the things that aren't being done so uh, yeah, it, it maybe I'm even a little frustrated, but anyway, I'll just keep putting my head down and doing the only thing that I know uh, what to do. Um, you know, there, there was that, that was just something we made for a bathroom break. Uh, and it was, and I just shoot from the heart. And, um, so anyway, I do appreciate all the people who've reached out to me. I, I um, I, I take uh complete, uh, I soak my ego in all the love you guys have been giving me. Um, that coming down from what you got, all this love you guys have uh, spewed on the podcast over the last week has been just fucking crazy. I hate to see what the crash is going to be like, but I really appreciate it. Like, like, like I'm reading comments to my mom. You know, like it, it's re, it's it's uh it's cool. You guys, you guys power me. Um. And uh, all of you in my DMs, I know I've slowed down. It's taking me like sometimes 48 hours to get back to them. I would just want you to know that every minute I'm shitting, I'm answering DMs. So just remember, uh, and I shit a lot. So you guys are still a number one priority while I poop. Love you guys. Caleb, you the man. Thanks for being here always. Uh, we will see you guys. Do we have a live call-in show tomorrow morning, Caleb? Is that what we're doing? I don't think there's anything scheduled. but Oh, my God. I'm glad I stayed on an extra 30 seconds.
That's a that's a top premier tennis class. You demand. Costas Anton, thank you. Appreciate it. That's a hell of a drawing, too. Uh, have a great day, everyone. Sean, uh, Patrick Clark, good to see you in the comments. Like I said before, we're covering CrossFit better than CrossFit is right now. Allison, they need you. Thank you. Uh, David uh, Weed, uh, awesome dude. Yeah, Dale is an awesome dude. Adam Blakesley, favorite guest. I hear you, Bruce Wayne. Uh, I got to start from the beginning. Yeah, it's it, he's just he's everything. He's smart and funny and edgy and enlightening. And uh, that dude's a uh, complete package. Jiggy Josh, always a good time when he comes on. Uh, Jiggy Josh, I so appreciate your wisdom in all your comments. Don't think I don't see them throughout YouTube. You are my favorite uh, critic. Even you're you're never harsh, but uh, like Jeffrey Birchfield, I always feel like you give me uh, love and point me, help me point towards the uh, true north. All right, guys, I will talk to you guys all soon. Bye bye.